Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to Frostline Chat, our weekly live stream post-session discussion where we talk about what just happened during D&D. This is the chat for session 16, so please go watch that session if you have not yet, because there will be spoilers. I am your Dungeon Master Eric, and joining me is of all Robins player Chris. Hello. Raymond's player, nope, Edmund's player Raymond. Who, who plays whom? <laughs> In the game of D and D, really plays Raven. <laughs> he plays me. Uh, so this was a big boss fight, basically, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So was this pretty, pretty strictly written as as like this is how the boss fight was going to go down? Um. I mean, I never know what you guys are going to do, but yeah, generally it was just, uh, I had the, the, like like this specific like scenario, like the boat on the river, on the ice, you know, canal, them coming up behind us and being there waiting for us when we come back, come back down. That was the, yeah, that was the ideal situation I was going for. Um, yeah, was that they would, um, because it just, it was just more interesting this way. Like, just it was more fun narratively and more fun um, having a little combat arena down here versus, okay, now that we know this, we're going to go kick down his door and just fight him in his office or something. So it just made it more of a, a dynamic situation and, yeah. and sped things up because you guys don't have to do this whole, like, all right, we're going to plan on infiltrating into all this, and you guys kind of already did all that. So it's like, this is just more interesting, and it, it's just it's easy to have, like, well, Kadroth just knows what you guys are doing at this point and caught you guys down here. So was that the... Yeah, yeah. My only bummer about this is that what, and this is this is too big a deal. But what what I realized at the end of last session was that like all of our planning on like infiltrating this tower and like pretending like we're on a tour and all that, I don't know if it actually meant anything ultimately because they well maybe maybe the guards weren't in on it, but at least Kadroth himself was just seemingly aware of what we were doing the entire time anyway. What it did is it got you down here without any further combat encounters basically or any any problems. Yeah. You were able to pass by like everything else and any other events and things that might have been a challenge for you on the way um, completely unscathed. So it got you to this point. Uh... So yeah, this was generally the this plan was, cool. was if we made it if we made it this far unscathed, then they that they he would know that we were down here and he'd come yeah. and be waiting for us. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact there might have been a case where I'd added some more guys down there if you had like not charmed like the guy upstairs, for example, because instead that was the one I was which you saw as you came up, like that they were already engaged in their own mm-hmm. like it, it was basically it was an ongoing fight that was happening off screen essentially during right. when this was happening. She, yeah, she was like behind us, yeah. Yeah, which I th- that was actually kind of unexpected because I, I I kind of expected her to just sort of not be involved at all, but that's yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, she's a she'll be a more major player. Um, yeah. So yeah, it did kind of go the way I planned, uh, Jeremy. Um, the biggest thing I didn't, well, I, I talked about this in crafting where a lot of this came down to initiative, where I thought like, okay, it's going to sure. be a big deal in terms of the initiative order, in terms of who's going to get what off and what's going to happen. But what I didn't anticipate is. You guys, it was, the distance created an interesting scenario where you guys are like 60 feet away from the action. Yeah. And suddenly you have to work at closing the distance. Um, in terms of ranged attacks, I mean, Thimbleweed is honestly probably one of your biggest 
DPSs right now. For sure. Um, and so range doesn't affect him. And obviously the spellcasters doesn't really affect them either. Um, so you guys did fine on that. Uh, what's funny is, you know, I got that shatter off and that did a lot of damage to you guys. It did, and it, it did freaked everybody out. It was like, yeah, oh shit, everybody's like really hurt. Special we all got to start down in potions. A lot at level four. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if I just rolled well for the day. I mean, it's only a, it's a second level spell, and I rolled it at second level. So I just I was surprised. Oh. I was like, oh geez, this is really like beating them up. And then I was like, oh god, do I ever want to get off my? Nothing ever met that though. <laughs> that was like no. The best thing well, that, that's what I'm following up with. Yeah. So I thought like, oh god, you know, and I'm always thinking about balance during the fight. I'm like, oh god, do I even want to unleash? My plan was to have him unleash this one big spell which um is a, is technically just a slightly reflavored Everd's black tentacles which is a fourth level mm-hmm. spell but i looked at it and i was like oh and it's only 3d6 damage it's got this cool effect where it could like restrain people like and and oh, put yeah. them in the freezing water and that could do things right. so i thought that was gonna be a really cool thing and a really just fun way of him showing off his boss powers but he's only gonna be able to do it once because the idea was he's got that stored in his amulet yeah so he only gets to do that one time um and i went in and did it and not realizing in the that, spell description that if you make the save, nothing bad happens. Yeah. It's like, well, that's kind of a bummer. It doesn't do any damage at all. And then everybody, <laughs> yeah. although we had a lot of... It only, only affected three of us. It only affected, which I expected that to happen. Flying. Yeah, I knew two of you were flying. Yeah. So I expected, like, okay, the cool thing is I'm going to do this. going to destroy their boat. It's going to put them in the water. They're all going to get screwed. Yeah. Which, honestly, cinematically, that was awesome. Yeah. That was great. Like, that was, that was a cool moment where it's like, all right, fuck, we're in this boat. Yeah. We thought we were going to be able to, like... Like you know, row towards them, but this boat's just go, like being destroyed beneath us. Yeah, and that would have made a difference had uh, Celeste rolled better athletics, then you could have made it a little bit further, closer. It wouldn't have been able to go, you know, sixty feet or whatever. But yeah, um, the plan was he was always going to do that at the boat and destroy the boat. I did give you guys a full round to say, okay, you're not being dropped into the water yet. You're being the boat is being destroyed at the moment, so you have a chance to. Get away and escape. Just based on the spell description is totally fair. Yeah. The the, the spell description is like at the beginning of everybody's turn. Like that's when the tentacles do their thing. So yeah. Yeah. It was basically like you guys had a turn. You basically had a turn. You still had to make the save against the tentacles, but you had a turn to where you weren't in the water yet. Right. And everybody had a chance to escape. Um, And yes, I did ultimately rule that, yeah, you guys can jump on the edges. And I just like, okay, it's a deck save or else you would fall in. But we made pretty good saves on that. Um, and obviously you've got your teleports. So yeah, the tentacles didn't end up doing anything, which is sad, because that was my big cool spell. It was just funny that the shatter, which I didn't think about at all, did this huge amount of damage everybody freaked out about. And I was like, oh, okay. It's, that's, that's always interesting. Yeah. That, that, that was very much, because, I mean, the, the tentacles were cool from a cinematic perspective. Yeah. From an actual practical, like, what do they do perspective, it Functionally, was not, it didn't do anything, yeah, everybody made their saves, and if you make the save, it doesn't do anything, which I didn't realize that. I thought at least it would do half damage or something. Yeah. Um, I think I did have Celeste uh, take some damage because of an athletic which I like that moment where she's like running along the tentacles. Yes. But I was like, all right, yeah. there's going to be something here. But I think more than anything else, it was just like a, like a eliminating the boat as our means of like yeah. transportation. Yeah. So now we all had to like figure out like how we were going to even get to them. Yeah. It was, it was a cool action movie moment for sure. Like it just destroys and you guys all got to scatter and do your things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you guys, it's funny, you missed a lot of rolls, but you actually made a lot of really clutch, you know, all the, you know, you making that deck save against the thing, or you would have gone down and gotten dragged that in the water, like, that would have been that bad. Li- that literally would have been, like, a turning point. Yes. In, well, at least for me, personally. Yeah. 
in this fight. If if I had taken like well, I mean minimum like damage three hit points three. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So if I had taken three at least three damage, I would have gone down. Tentacles would have had me under the fucking water. Yeah, freezing water. And, yeah. I mean, what happens then? Because you're restrained, but, which I think does things to you. Like it would have been really fucking yeah. bad. So it's just yeah. funny how much that really changed the dynamic is you took that shatter first and I unleashed the tentacles. But then once everybody had the tentacles, I was like, okay, now it's starting to shift in the player's favor. Um, and then it, it really, the tables really got turned whenever uh, Reese had that insane like crit attack that did a bazillion damage and, and did horrible things. And I did, became a, became a dunkathon. became a dunkathon, which was really fun. Um, you guys enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. Um, I, I was, having to kind of adjudicate these rules because originally I was just going to have the water do um, uh, exhaustion which isn't um, something I can even track on on my character sheets oh right NPCs don't have that NPCs don't have exhaustion so I was like well shit Um, so I had them like okay I'm just going to have them take damage or in the case of like one of them so many people were so low hit points like Frey threw one the first guy in the water like five hit points I was like well he just sinks and dies like I don't know yeah, I had the thug survive because he had like ten hit points at the time, but then I had I was like secretly rolling like one d sixes. I'm just like I don't know. I'm just gonna come up with something. Like some of them are bobbing and and like some of the guys that have more hit points. Like okay, they are technically taking exhaustion, so I'll just say they have disadvantage. You know, I was really just kind of playing fast and loose with the rules right there. Right. I did not have strict mechanics. Um, whereas for you guys, it was gonna be like a DC ten con save where you gain exhaustion. Yeah. Um, basically every time you're in the water. Um, and then at some point I was just playing around with the fact that like, yeah, the paralyzed half ogre, like he's just, he can't fucking swim back. So he's just going to sink to the bottom. And that one was funny. I wanted to ask you about that one. Like, what does that half ogre do? Because he was fairly intimidating and he never did a goddamn thing. Well, he tried to attack Frey. That's what, that's that's why he got paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. He tried and then he he missed and then he just, everything went bad. Guys, I missed so many attacks. Like, holy shit. It really turned in y'all's favor. Like. After the initial shatter, I don't know if I actually hit with any of my attack attacks. I think I only hit with stuff that required saves, which was only, I think I hit with Psychic Rebuke, uh, which, yeah, it's a reflavored Hellish Rebuke. Um, I hit with that shatter, and then I think I hit with an Eldritch Blast. Yeah. And I hit hit Frey with a Mind Spike. Like, literally all my spells went off, and I don't think any of my regular attacks went off. Which, guess what? One of those guys who was shooting that crossbow had Shardle and Arrows. So, like, it would have done the same shit that Thimbleweed was doing. Yeah. Um, but I was missing. I think the Thug missed with, like, two attacks. The Cultist missed with attack. Like, uh, just the Half-Ogre missed with his attack, which he do- he only attacks once, unfortunately. But it's a it's a pretty big attack. Right. I assumed it was a big attack. Yeah, was, it's like, an average of, uh, he does 2d10 plus 4 on that battle yeah. axe but he only has the okay. one attack and he had a plus six but like and and you guys do not have high armor class either i just rolled yeah. really really shitty on all my attack rolls so the, the numbers it feels I, I, bad I, mean, I, would, <laughs> I, I, I would challenge anyone to like put the, number, put the numbers together but it seemed like the numbers were just really low this session just overall i agree yeah overall a couple, couple really high ones yeah obviously the boys huge like, crit but yeah yeah there was there a lot was of a, really because none of these guys the highest ac on my side was like a 13 Oh, yeah. And the highest yeah. AC on you guys is like a 15. Like, these are not right. super tanky characters on either side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that freaking crit just did a ton of damage. With And of course, the Shadow and Arrow triggers off the crits as well. And then the fact that it triggered all of those saves is absolutely bonkers. I just love that, like, every almost every character has a way to move, move. somebody. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so it was nuts. a series of people being pushed into the water. <laughs> it's really just the, the just Frey. It was Frey, Edmund, and Thimbleweed this this time. Yeah, right. I, I don't I don't think any of the guys I controlled did any of that. But uh, those those three right. were just constantly just shoving people into the water. Yeah, amazing. what's funny is I did look through one of the things, and people in crafting know this, that I looked at um, the spells and realized, okay, Chris is immediately going to cast Calm Emotions as soon as he gets a chance because it's mm. a great opportunity to use that spell. And that's how I knew, like, I looked it up and said, okay, the Half Ogre is actually a giant and is not yes. a humanoid. And yep. then uh, I'm going to, and Kadroth, um, so regular cultists have that um, ability, but obviously I've reflavored these guys are not technically cultists. Like, they're, I mean, they are but they're right. not that makes sense so i'm like i'm not gonna give him that ability but i will give kadroth the ability because he's got the boss you know uh kadroth by the way had he basically the same stat block as a cult fanatic but i literally replaced all of their because they have cleric spells and i replaced mm. all of those spells with warlock spells ah, so yeah. that's why he had like eldritch blast and hellish rebuke and all and, and shatters and mind spike those are all spells warlocks can have Right. Um, I gave them arms of Hadar, which is that cool, like tentacles burst out of you. But then I realized, like, oh, he's not going to use that because they're full of his, his people around him. Like, so it's not going to really come up. <laughs> yeah. But I figured, like, oh man, at the very least, all of these psychic rebukes are going to go off and do a lot of damage because I'm constantly going to be able to do my reactions and hit people. And then twice, two Four or three times, times you guys yeah. shut down my reactions so terribly. I forget how that ended up happening, but. Reese did a couple. Okay, where, it was like, it was the massive damage against Kadroth, and yeah, he yeah, rolled yeah, the one where he can't take reactions. Which usually can't take reactions is not a big deal. But this time I was like, oh shit, yeah. I can't use his his big DPS, which is being able to do that like whatever it is, two d ten or something, right. to other people. Well, um, mine was the was the spell that was like you have to run as your reaction. Yeah, yeah, and then you used up his reaction. That's true. I get moved two times. The third time, the the one guy did get it off. Right. Uh, Jeremy, they actually do have uh, healing capabilities. Both uh, Valravan as a bard and uh, Edmund as an artificer have healing word. Which I think I, you I, both I use both them use in this it. combat yeah. fight. Yeah, you don't have like huge um, cure wounds or anything, but right, you've got those. You do have some capabilities. Yeah, it wasn't like you guys weren't taking any damage. There was definitely, um, you know, I was dealing some damage here and there. Mainly that initial shatter spell did a lot, but I definitely like after. That, that, it's funny that, that I went hard. It was really scary and a cool opening moment, yeah. but I expected I expected the tentacles to be that scary opening moment. And it was uh, a shatter yeah. instead, which I could have kept casting. Sh I mean, you know, they they have multiple spell slots, and I was just like, well, I'm just gonna have like Eldritch Blast or something, and because I'm, I, don't, I guess I shouldn't have held back like that. I should have just kept fucking casting like shatter constantly. I mean, but I mean, I mean, you could have because I I don't think it would have affected more than two people at that point. Mm. Like, I mean, at that point, Frey was in his. Yeah, face. you guys actually scattered. Yeah. Yeah, and Thimbleweed was in the back, and then yeah. Edmund was kind of also in the back, and then yeah. Celeste and and uh, Robin were in, went right, like not even visible. Well, my so, concern was I was trying, and I, I might have messed this up, but I was trying to be honest about his amulet power, which was if a spell wow. is cast within 30 feet and, he, and I have to roll a 1d4 and I roll a 1, it's absorbed, and they would know that that's a thing. Uh, unless if... So I, I said, like, when I had him do Eldritch Blast, because it's a cantrip, so that wouldn't trigger it. So I was trying to be kind of cognizant about the fact that once um, Kadroth casts the tentacle spell, now his amulet is empty and has a chance of triggering those spells. Oh... Which I believe the only time you guys cast a spell within thirty feet was when you did that distant whispers at the end, which I did again roll for it, and um, it did not go off. Didn't, didn't go off. I mean, it's a one in four chance. That's not yeah. Yeah. 
Which that's an I I just made that item up, and I have no idea oh, if that's right. if that's well balanced or not, and. I don't know if any of the, which we can talk about that, Raymond, about if you want to craft any of these things or make those um, progressions or if you even like this system. But um, the idea was you, as an artificer, that'd be cool for you to be able to craft some magic items that have technically some drawbacks involved too. Yeah, I'm actually thinking about it. Um, this would be, so I can't make an amulet because I don't have a necklace. I can't make a shield without a shield. So I, I mean, you can, you can just probably grab a lot of the shit is just loot that's not a big um oh. from the town or something that's that's not meant to be a big uh big deal gotcha. there well, i was actually thinking because you know how my my robotic arm turns into a dagger mm -hmm. i was like what if i infuse a piece of charlotte into my own arm nice <laughs> yeah because yeah. every time you miss you get to roll for madness right uh, you have to make a charisma save, yeah. But I was thinking because you are adept at, at doing Shardland, then you specifically would gain advantage on that save. But only you. Mm-hmm. Got you. Well, yeah, so I was thinking, like, okay, I'll, I'll risk... Because I don't really, like, go melee that that much, so yeah. it, it, it's not like I'm dependent on it. But, um... And then the other thing, I just, I have no idea what it means. Like, bands of binding, I don't know what that even means. So, I need to share these with you right now. Um, so, yeah, you, you should already have the weapon, the arrows. I just uh, shared with you the amulet, which you guys have a amulet already right now. Um, you got that from Kadroth. Um, this is the shield. It's a plus one shield. Um, I don't I don't even know if you guys use shields, but... Um, Do you use shields? I don't you're proficient, know. yeah. Artificer, maybe, I'm not sure. Um, you guys are not yeah. really a shield. This one is if you are damaged by an attack within five feet and/or grappled by an opponent, you can spend your reaction to deal one d10 piercing damage as black spikes protrude from the shield, and uh, it also frees you from being grappled or restrained. But when you use it, then you have to make the Christmas saving throw. Hmm. Uh, I meant to delete the dark crystal part. Sorry, you can ignore that. I don't track that shit. Um, and then the other thing is the Shardlin headband, which is a charge type item. Um, six charges, you can expend an action. You can use an action to expend one or more charges to cast the following spells using your own spell save DC. Uh, compelled duel for one charge, mind spike for two charges, or enemies abound for three charges. Uh, that one seems cool. Yeah, and then regard it regains 1d6 charges after a long rest. Um, however, if a target succeeds on a spell save, then you must make a DC 10 Charisma saving throw. And this time I played around with it. Instead of just doing the short-term madness, you are under the temporary effects of the Crown of Madness spell um, mm -hmm. until the end of your next turn, which is, I think, similar to like you have to attack the nearest person or something. I have to look that one up again. Are these all on here? How about... Oh, yeah, it is all on here. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to share them all. Um, and then the Shardalan Bands of Binding. This is an item that I took from the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide. It's, it's kind of like a, a Pokeball. Um, use an action to speak the command word and throw the sphere at a huge or smaller creature you can see within 60 feet of you as the sphere moves through the air it opens into a tangle of metal bands you have to make a ranged attack roll with an attack bonus equal to your dex modifier and on a hit the target is restrained until you take a bonus action to speak the command word again to release it uh, a creature can make a DC 20 strength check to break the iron bands but if your attack roll misses then you must make the uh, DC 10 charisma saving throw uh, and it is a once per 
uh, long rest item. Get to be attuned to these things. I think only the headband and the amulet. Oh, like it says it on there. Yeah, it should say it on there. Got you. Uh, the rest of them are not attunements. Nice. Yeah, I like making magic items, um, and I've said this a million times in a lot of streams and reviews, but the one thing that really upsets me about 5e is it is not uh, nearly as magic item-focused as other versions of D&D have been. But when I get a chance to make magic items, I have fun with it. I think I know what I'm going to do. Okay. I have four pieces of Shardlin. Yeah? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make four Pokeballs. <laughs> <laughs> Become a Pokemon Master. <laughs> Pokemon, Pokemon Master. master. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, uh, I'm learning the Artificer just has no attacks. Like, mm-hmm. like right. Uh, it could be the way I'm playing my character too, because there are some spells that have like attack capabilities. I can forget which, like, like lightning or something like that. Yeah. Um. So you had that so had that uh, was the acid one that was like an acid line or something. It is. It is. But the problem too is, and it's probably right now, but I only have three level one spells yeah you're like a half caster that's an awkward thing to be right so i could quickly use up all my spells and that's it and and you know maybe take down one enemy with three spells essentially yeah um so that's what makes it really hard is is the number of slots so i've chosen spells that are just more like fun and creative you know like that grease pit one sure um Something I don't plan to use too often. I thought you would throw um, a, a grease pit down in this in this group of people for sure. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I don't know, but exactly that. My limitations on spell slots. Yeah. Like, yeah. I used one earlier for some reason. I only had two, and I already had to use one for that healing word. Yeah. So one that I kind of had to like reserve in case I got damaged again. Yeah. Uh, but I did. I did look through my spell. Like, All right, what can I do? And and um, you're limited by your spell slots. So. Yeah, it's it's our first time dealing with this class, so we're all trying to figure it out. And um, I didn't uh, I didn't make you rule this yet, but I was debating like the flight speed of that potion is just ten. I can only move ten feet per turn. I was like, can I float down to the ground and just run? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, so that's yeah, I, I you're going fly. I don't think I can choose whether I fly or not until the 10 minutes is up. I feel like there's some rule about being able to combine your movement. I don't know what it is, though. It's been a while since we've had to deal with that. What I was imagining is if he wanted to, like, just float down to, like, the ice level and just walk along the ice, but knowing that if the ice ever broke under he's him still or anything hovering. like that, he's still, he's still hovering, yeah. so he would never be able to, like, fail that. I, 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 I wouldn't have thought of that either, but I honestly I probably would have allowed it. Um, that yeah, you could have just dropped down and, and you would have just succeeded on any deck saves because you could you were still hovering. But that that is a weird yeah. situation. Yeah, ten feet means you're... if you wanted to land and walk, but just in case anything is going to take you any lower, <laughs> you're, you're you're still hovering, so you can't be taken any lower. Yeah. yeah, even though it says you gain a flying speed of ten feet, it doesn't say like you lose your walking speed. And a lot of monsters have a, fl- a flying and a walking speed. Right, because like, they just have they wings have, like, yeah, or something. They yeah. Have, like, yeah, they have like 30, 60, or, you know, 10, 20, or, you know, even even the other direction. Yeah. They have like 30, 10. Well, I was thinking back, like, like swim speed, for example. If you use all your movement swimming, you don't have any more. Or like the times where you're, like, climbing, you use up half your speed to do this or have to do that. Yeah. So I figured 
I only have a flying speed of 10, that's all I can do on a movement is the 10. I I'd have to, I'd feel like there's some other there. way of doing this, yeah. There, the there's there's rules. Are like, the rules are like, okay, the, the rules are like if you, it's like, kind of cumulative. So if you were walking, if you if you were to fly down to the ground using 10 feet of fly speed, you've used 10 feet of movement. But then if you were to try to walk another 20, you've, you still use 10 feet of movement, but the last 20 could be walking and you've now you've used 30. But if you were only flying, then yes, you could only use the 10. Right. The other way I think of it is if my flight speed is 10 feet and I use up 10 feet, I've used up 100% of my movement. <laughs> that's the other way to think of it, too. Yeah, yeah. that's... There's, there's got to be a rule in here somewhere. I just It's it's sad we played D&D this long and we still don't know uh, the exact yeah. uh, rules behind combining movement speeds. Or maybe it's the fact that if you you, you say, okay, I, I have a flight at 10 speed, so I fly forward 10, but then I still have my walk. I have like 20 feet of walk left. Like I don't know how that works. But there's there's some method for figuring that out. If you're going on that route, like let's say like you know Tritons, you know they have a swim speed, right? Could she swim her forty feet, get up to land, and then go another thirty feet? I don't think so. So I know, but the thing is, you can go up to up to the maximum of that movement type. So, like say she had a she had a swim speed of ten, and a walking speed of thirty. She okay, here it says right here. 10 and then walk 20 for a total of 30. All right, here's the rule. It says right here. All I'm right. just going to copy and paste it. It says using different speeds. That's what I've been searching for. It says if you have more than one speed, such as your walking speed and a flying speed, you can switch back and forth between your speeds during your move. When you switch, subtract the distance you've already moved from the new speed. The result determines how much farther you can move. If the rule is zero or less, you can't use the new speed during the current move. Yeah. That's yes, that's that that is my understanding as well. Yes. So if you fly ten feet and land, well then you minus ten feet from your land move speed. So you still got twenty. Yeah. yeah. But if you move ten if you if you fly ten feet and you're still not on ground where you can like use your walking speed, then yes, you're right. You've moved up all you've used up all your speed. Yeah, that, and I agree, Jeremy. It sucks that that potion is only ten feet flies. It's it's really a hover <laughs> potion, basically. Yeah. It's not a flying potion at that point. It's a hovering potion that you can slightly yeah. move because that is pretty slow. Uh, let me ask you, going back, sorry, to the binds of bands of binding. If the creature breaks out of it, are you going to rule that the bands are broken or it just turns into a sphere again? The the item I took this from from the dungeon master's guide says it's broken. I don't like that, so I removed that. Okay. So it, just, um, it, it turns back to the sphere. It just turns and back to the sphere, yeah. Later. It just turns inert. But yeah, it, the, the one I drew it for, it's, it's called the Iron Bands of Billaroo or something. Um, mm-hmm. I literally just copied and pasted the rules, but it had that in there, and I was like, nah. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so the rules for crafting, um, to also tell everybody who's watching, um, they do require um, successful skill checks over time. So you can make a, a tool check using your Tinker's tools. Um, and you can make one check during short rests and two checks during a long rest. Um, there's no penalty other than the fact that you just don't succeed on the check to make whatever you're making. So in other words, if you want to make the, binds, uh, the bands of binding, you get two checks for your long rest. Um... 
and they do cost they do cost money for all these things too. It'd be ten gold a piece. Um, then you could make up to two bands if you succeeded on both checks. That's how that would work. Yep, I'll probably roll that the next time. Okay. Um, and then I, I don't. I just realized I don't have much gold. So <laughs> to go to town and sell my. Uh, That's right. Sell some stuff. Yeah. Or get paid again. Yeah. <laughs> How long has we got paid? I need my stipend. <laughs> I know it's not gonna be very interesting, but I think I'm gonna go that route. Just chucking balls. Of- I mean, whatever you want. I tried to. I tried to put a variety of stuff in there just to see because I didn't know. Um, and like I said, you could always make shit for other people. Like that's it, all that shit is possible. I just wanted to kind of turn into a crafting thing. So I'm trying to figure out like what would be interesting for the artificer and your relationship to Charlotte. Yeah, you guys really are basically both the kind of the same role. It, it's it seems like you guys are both um, support casters. Yeah, which is helpful to have I, I for sure. I, yeah, I don't have a lot of damage, which I I appreciate you pointing this out whenever we got into the combat. <laughs> when you said like, yeah, the players are not going to react well if if I put Celeste in a ball, even though she didn't do much this combat. I I you know I recognize that I I didn't probably optimize her well. I was just like. I'm not going to have her jump in. I'm just going to have her shoot radiant blasts. That's fine. Yeah. But it's just, you know, I don't know. Just something about having five, all five of us as like potential targets and potential damage dealers is a lot more, I don't know. The security blanket is there. Yeah. Than like, oh, we're literally missing a person and they can, that's just affecting how much we do. Yeah. And what's interesting, Reese did tell me about this earlier, so I had a heads up on it. Um, and I told Heather that, like, if we were playing tabletop D&D, then what I would have done is just had Celeste... Well, this would have, this would have been a hard situation, though, because we still had shit going on that you had to react to, like the tentacles and stuff. But I would have just said, well, Celeste just takes on one of the cultists herself. So, like, there's an off-screen fight. Right. So nobody controls her, but we essentially get rid of one of those combatants, and that happens. But sure. when you're playing on roll 20... With the tokens and everything, look on there. That's that's a lot harder to do. It is, yeah. To just like minus those tokens and remove them. So, especially in situations like this, where this fight was so environmentally based. Yes, like this was not just a you know a five by five check. Yeah, board. where it's it like, like all right, you take those two out. They're on a corner, but like okay, they can't be in a corner. They're not even engaged yet. Like it gets it gets a lot trickier in this situation. And yeah. I already I already put all those tokens on the map. Like you guys knew what you were facing, so it would have been a trickier situation to try to to do that and ultimately I was like well they've proved that they can run characters decently efficiently enough so we're just going to let it roll yeah. with that so yeah I think it was I, it'll probably be a case by case basis like sometimes we'll have to probably gem people um, I mean the, the, the time you did it before didn't end up hurting us too bad because it was very yeah. like you know it was a pretty exploratory session so right. it was like alright her not being here wasn't too big a deal mm-hmm. yeah so here I, I think it was fine I think you did fine and yeah all that worked out. So yeah, um, ended up being. I'm not really disappointed in the fight. I think it did well. It did what I wanted it to do, which was be a fun cinematic fight. Um, I was a little sad at myself for not being able to hit anything for like the second half, and it just felt like uh, <laughs> the trajectory changed very quickly. Basically, it started off really tense. Sure, we had the did. shatter spell and the tentacles and stuff, but then you guys made all the saves, and then just started coming in and eating all these guys with the water, and ended up kind of kicking my this, ass. When this, when this fight started. <laughs> When the session started, I yeah. guess I was very concerned because yeah. I was like, "All right, we're in a tight space, 
and they can just throw whatever they want at us. Yeah. And they kind of did. I and mean, they, they kind of got whatever they were going to get off, you know, to start with off. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Then just, just they were like, well, wait, once we can do the same thing to them. Once you guys scattered and did all the stuff, then yeah, it got pretty dicey. And I was nervous about the initiative because you rolled so well in initiative. I was like, oh shit, he's going to immediately get that fucking um, calm emotion spell off and he's going to shut my whole yeah. team down and the party's going to be able to get into position. Like, I'm not going to be able to do anything that I wanted to do. Um, and it ended up, I think I made like... Work. It took, took two, people, it took out two people out. Yeah, I did lose one full round that they would have shot at you guys um, for two people. And then I think they... Something... Oh, it was the Shatter spell. It was the, one of the ones that yeah. made the save. Shattered and did damage, and then you uh, right. lost the concentration. Yeah. Which would have been big, too, if you had kept concentrating on that. Like, Well, I guess as soon as you attack somebody, that ends. Yeah, so exactly. it, that's a, as as, right. Yeah, it's not as good as uh, like Hypnotic Pattern. Yeah, yeah. It's it's either an all or nothing spell or yeah. it's a just a like very uh hold hold the line spell for a limited amount of time. Yeah, like, you, like even for spell. one round, like you did it, like yeah. it's it's still worth some doing. Turns time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it got to be I was getting my ass kicked so much I was like, All right, do I just say that gibbering Maller escaped from its prison cell and comes up behind them? <laughs> <laughs> I wanna kick a little more ass, but no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got, I mean, it's interesting. I, it, I, I honestly think it's it's it was genuinely one of those situations where like we just found a clever solution to the problem of this yeah. fight, and we exploited it to the best of our ability. And the dice just went in your direction at that point. Like yeah, I was, I was missing all my attacks, and you guys were able to do all all your attacks that ended up putting them in. You know, whether it was uh, Raymond's um, alchemy thing or. Uh, or yeah. Thimbleweeds bugs or Frey grabbing people like all those checks succeeded in dropping people in there so you guys were triumphing in that regard and then the few attacks I had left for like one more round were just missing left and right so yeah, trajectory definitely changed a bit but uh, I think it was still a pretty fun um, scenario I liked that dynamic and uh, yeah I think this, this area ended up being a lot more fun uh, than what is written in the book. <laughs> because there is not much going on here. Literally, you basically come in, you talk to people, and you leave. And then if you see really? what's going on down here, then maybe you can get into a giant fight with all these cultists, essentially. So I wonder... Okay, I wonder... The thing I wonder is if if you run it as written, if you just run it as written, if the players would not be satisfied and they would, they would keep pushing their luck until they found something. Maybe. Because I feel, I feel like if we came in here and played this as written in yeah. the book, we would not be cool with, like, we come in and just, we talk to Kedroth and we leave. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, would just be, it would just be really weird. It'd it be would like, be. All right, no, we have to look around a bit more. We have to do some more things. Yeah. Um, I will go ahead and say this because we're done with this area. As written... These guys are devil worshippers, and they are straight-up cultist cultists that worship Levistus, who is just one of the demons. And it's a totally just superfluous thing that has nothing to do with the main plot whatsoever. Oh. Yeah, oh. Well, that's, that's a real bummer. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> so I was like, I'm changing that. <laughs> Man. Um... Yeah, literally, instead of that dungeon down there, there's like a, a shrine to Levistus or something, and they're just they're just generic ass devil worshiping cultists. So it's, it, it, 
Okay. So and then, so written, they're, they're more. This is, this is basically just a pure side quest. It's got nothing to do with anything. Honestly, that's kind of what all these places are, and I'm, I'm trying to reflavor some of them to make them more, uh, without without being too spoiler about what the long term things going on are. I'm, I'm trying to yeah. reflavor a lot of them to be more um, relevant to. I mean, um, I'm I'm certainly feeling but, that that like everything is tied into a general whole. Yeah, I'm certainly getting that impression. Like I think I mentioned this, but for the mountain climb, I added uh, that wizard's entire involvement to that quest, which again is how you tie that into the main. So. This is something that I when I when I chose to run this campaign, um, I liked like the maps and the idea and the setting and all that stuff. But I had, I knew I had to put in the work to like fix the story and make yeah. this stuff more compelling and interesting. Um, because what, yeah, a lot of the stuff was like that, where it's like these are just a bunch of devil worshiping cultists that you don't even really have any. There's no even compelling like um, hook involved really. You know, from from a like Wizard of the Coast perspective, I kind of get what they're going for with the, in the books with the, when they do this kind of stuff, where it's like the intention is almost for more like sandbox play, like like okay, you're in you're in a tavern. Yeah. What direction do you want to go? You encounter a random quest, whichever direction you're gonna go. Yeah. But that's just not kind of the way that we do things as DMs. It's, I think exactly. Yeah, that that is that is certainly. I mean, you can run any adventure like that technically, but that this one does have that at least in this opening. I mean, we're still in chapter one, which is all about just doing shit around ten towns, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was cool. Like every town is like a quest, and they're but they're all they they're all of that like side quest variety. So for yeah. me, I'm like, all right, I have to I have to basically pick and choose the ones that I liked and thought were the most interesting. And then with most of them, I need to try to tie them in. Uh, you know, technically, like, the mind quest didn't have, like, a main plot thread there, but I just really liked that one. Um, so I, I tried to work and, and make a lot of them more, like, relevant to what was happening so it doesn't feel like you're just doing a bunch of just bullshit side content to get out of Tier 1, basically. Right. All right. All right. I, I really appreciate that, then, because <laughs> it, it, it definitely feels more cohesive this way, Yeah. I think, than just you know, be marshals for a week, you know, <laughs> go do yeah. a bunch of side quests for some period of time. Yeah. This, this one required more work than all the others for sure. Cause it was... sounds, I mean, it's sounding like what you're doing here is almost equivalent to what you have to do in Surf King's Thunder and uh, act two, where it's like, all right, now the world's opened up, you know, you got all these just random things you can do, but yeah, you gotta, like, sort of, and, and filter it out and, and tailor yeah, it. And party. what I've done is I've been very careful about obviously what quests I'm giving you guys. Like, yeah, you know, you 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 had two at the beginning, and then I've been seeding them slowly and basically turning this into a more linear adventure. Um, with the caveat that like you have choice every once in a while. Like in the beginning, you could have gone to Goodmead or the Beautiful Mine, sure. and then right now when you finish Care Denival, you could go to East Haven or he go to Goodmead. Like you you know, I want to empower those abilities some to an extent there, but. Yeah, obviously that's I've got very specific uh things planned for each area. Yeah. All right, this has been a uh, pretty long frostside chat, so anything else about um this session or this area? Um do we talk talk about all about the the ending? I mean, I, oh yeah, I, we were talking about the avarice thing. Yeah, that was yeah, actually some that's... big stuff that I dropped at you guys. Um uh, that I I'll be honest to you, I was not planning on having avarice reveal that much information. I mean, you kind of you were kind of put in their corner though, right? Like, yeah. 
it's it's one of those like okay well we're in a situation now where we're like not confronting her but we're like yeah. kind of on her own level and we're like hey you know we want to work with you but yeah we're actively asking you questions yeah and and you guys performed a, a very valuable service uh in terms yeah. of uh basically doing what she asked so she ended up being forthcoming also, with, uh, though, I will say this is as a player, I kind of like when these kind of things happen where mm. we get like a, a maybe it can be still vague, but a more like, OK, here's here's the backstory. Like just a little just a little like, all right, there's three wizards. Yeah. They came here hunting a fourth wizard. Yeah. And because what, what you lose, what you lose in D&D with other stories is you have those moments where the action goes to the villains or goes to whatever else is going on. And you see yes. it from their perspective. The heroes don't yeah. get to see it, but you as the audience get to see it and you see that happening and you learn it. And the problem is in, in D&D, the camera is solely focused on the players so how yes. do you, you know, you have to, you, you do have to give them that information once in a while. I've, I, yeah, absolutely. And I felt like this, 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 this little bit was one of those things where it's like, yeah. all right, here's, we, we don't exactly know who's the villain and who's the good guy yet. Yeah. We just know that there's three wizards hunting a fourth wizard who's gone rogue. Yeah. And okay, that's, that's enough information for us to like sort of uh, build a narrative upon in our heads at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I and obviously having a NPC that has a interesting relationship with the party and that you've met, interacted with, is is always good. Um, that you can then use that NPC later on. Like that's one of the as, as a DM, that's one of the things I like. I loved having like Zendala into Annihilation, for example, where you just have yeah. this reoccurring character that you can use that has this like interesting like gray area uh, relationship. Yep. Like you don't know, you don't necessarily know if you can trust them, but yeah, you're you're also not actively hostile. They're not trying to kill you. So Correct. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, at least they're not trying to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a plus. Yeah, and as Jeremy says, <laughs> Frey is actively on average society <laughs> at this point. So we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, that was funny. They bonded over that. <laughs> yep. They, they, the they bonded over. Yeah, like genu Like both of them wanted to like kill anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was definitely her personality is that she was trying to make, trying to put on a good face, but you can tell she doesn't like uh, kowtowing to anybody. Yeah. All right. I think that will do it for this week's Frost Side Chat. Thank you to Raymond and Chris. I am Eric, and we will be here next time, uh, next week for more TND. Bye. See ya.